Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. And this is Robbie Martin. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. How's it going, Rob? It's going good. We just put out a bonus episode, our first for patrons only, which was exciting. And we also put out something we've been working on for quite a long time, the uh, true crime episode about the 2001 anthrax attacks called Schrodinger's Super Patriot. And yeah, it's getting a lot of good feedback and we're, uh, we're really just trying to get it out there. And it's only part one of two, so we're really excited to put out part two as well, which is going to come out probably at the end of this month. Yeah, you guys should really check it out. My brother went through just these rare clips and compiled an incredibly riveting retelling of the 2001 anthrax attacks through audio clips from the Bush administration trying to link them to Iraq through just 911 calls to news coverage. It's just fascinating. Um, it kind of reminded me of American Bisque, but different because I was involved and it was just an audio version, but very, very cool um, to be a part of that, Robbie, and I'm really excited for part two. And thanks so much for your feedback on that. I really appreciate everyone listening and telling us what they felt and thought about it. Um, like you mentioned, we had the bonus episode, first um, exclusive episode for patrons. So it was an entire hour. We ended up giving a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff for you guys. Uh, we went over entertainment reviews, Venom, Better Call Saul. Um, and we talked a lot about the Leslie Stahl interview, that really creepy interview that Trump did with Leslie Stahl. We talked about the Proud Boys attacks in New York, the sanctioning um, of the Proud Boys with the Republican Party. So definitely check that out because it's a really, really jam-packed episode. And definitely check that out. And if you haven't listened and if you're not a patron, just $1 a month um, can get you exclusive access to all of our bonus content because we're going to put out another bonus episode this month about the Magnitsky Act. Yeah, about the Magnitsky Act behind the scenes documentary that we promised we would review. We already have reviewed it. We didn't find a place to really fit it in into our regular podcast. So we feel a bonus episode is probably the best idea. And we're also open to unlocking bonus episodes like after maybe being up a couple of weeks for everybody. So if you you know, want to have access to those. Some of them we might unlock, some of them we probably won't unlock. Um, we want to have access to everything. But most of our podcasts will continue to be available to everybody. So that will that will remain the same. Yeah. Another quick update, uh, sad update, actually, the historian and fierce U.S. critic of uh, foreign policy, William Bloom, the curator and creator of the Anti-Empire Report, a weekly newsletter that just kind of uh, goes over, you know, the U.S. empire, really inspired my work. Um, he, he's been failing health for some time. He is 84 years old. He does suffer from um, kidney failure. He's on dialysis. And apparently two weeks ago, he sustained a, a pretty serious fall in his apartment. So he, I think he may still be in the hospital. Anyway, his family sent out a letter asking people to donate of course, we live in a country where um, healthcare is not a right, and a lot of people are suffering from the lack of access, and I think that he needs some help. So I'm going to link on the timeline right now for um, the ability to donate to his family. And um, yeah, we just kind of keep rooting for him. Um, you know, he's definitely chronicled, I think, one of the most comprehensive lists of all CIA and military interventions since World War II. Yeah, and the so book I, Killing Hope, which is right. well, really integral to my sort of coming to the place I am, you know, now politically. Um, and it, it kind of helped radicalize me. So, As well um, as Osama bin Laden. What? As well as Osama bin Laden. 
Oh yeah, I forgot about that. He was <laughs> he got he got um he got mentioned. Wasn't it after the cache of documents was released, yeah. like after the raid? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so funny. No, wait, I thought that Bin Laden said it in an interview. I thought that he no was shit. like, everyone should read this book to understand no shit. U.S. That's foreign in, policy. That's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, William Bloom, give him some love. Um, another just crazy, hilarious thing that happened was, you know, of course, Steve Bannon is like making the rounds now. And I think when you take away and strip someone's billionaire donor funding and the media platform of, you know, billions of dollars of free advertising to these kind of rebranded neo-fascists and neo-Nazis, then you see really who supports these people. And will, and Steve Bannon just looked like a tired old alcoholic in like an AA meeting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like a handful of old people in this room and he just looked like he had no supporters at all. It's kind of like Richard Spencer, you know, like when he does these events now, it's like no one really shows up when there's not that media spotlight on them. But anyways, um, Steve Bannon is still pretty influential and people really agree with you know, the premise of his rhetoric. And so um, apparently he was considered um, important enough to be hosted at the Monk debate um, against, what do you know, David Frum, Tweedledee and Tweedlefrum. Um, this is one of the Bush administration officials. This is the guy who said we need to return to civility. I remember a time in D.C. when things were civil. So this is a, a disgusting the term, figure. Of evil. It's probably the totally most term, Exactly. This is his claim to fame, axes of evil. So anyway, tell, talk about what happened. Well, yeah, I mean, at first, um, People who were watching it, you know, all the a lot of the resistance people who hate Bannon and now love from, including a lot of Democrats, um, were watching the debate and were horrified because they thought Frum was winning the debate. And at the end, when they did the audience tally, uh, which is what the Monk debate is traditionally does, they take an audience vote of who won. And I think they actually do it. They pull people in the middle of the debate at different stages too. So. At first, I guess, and I, I could be technically wrong about this, but at first, apparently the tally was e- around even or from was winning. And then by the end, it was something like 70% against 30%, 70% Bannon against from 30%. That's hilarious. And people were like blown away. They were just like so disturbed by this. But I mean, let's let's just like cut through the, the bullshit here is that in reality, both men are disgusting bigots. Um, but in a twisted way, Bannon is actually less phony than from because he is openly disdainful and doesn't make any bones about it of being even disdainful towards le- legal immigrants. Right. And is consistent in his open racism. I mean, you heard Bannon on that bizarre interview with Trump, which surprisingly got little play in the media where Trump talks about how he's you know proud of some of these Asian CEOs like Asian immigrant CEOs who become CEOs of American companies and Bannon is like Ugh. he like makes like a disgusted sound you know like he's even like anti like he just doesn't even want that happening. right and then Trump is like you don't want even those kind of immigrants and he's like no yeah 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 he actually so, just admits it so Bannon you know doesn't have this like phony virtue signaling aspect about him in that regard you know he does in the you know he claims he's anti-intervention and stuff that's all phony fucking bullshit virtue signaling on the right but from you know presents himself as the civilized you know guy who's he's a conservative but he's a you know he's an intellectual compassionate you know compassionate conservatism which was the bush the phony bush platform when he got in office um but it's funny because one of the things I remember most about David Frum was his blatantly open 
bigotry against Arabs and Muslims around the time of the Bush administration. I mean, he was so over the top about it that his wife, you know, this would have been an embarrassing thing for anybody. It's like Barbecue Becky. His wife actually wrote an editorial saying that she changed planes. She demanded to change planes because she was too scared to sit next to an Arab man on a plane. Wow. So it's just kind of appalling that anyone would look at this guy or his wife or his family and think that they're not bigots. Um, I just don't understand it. I mean, I... I just find David Frum extremely disgusting, and he's a, he'll always be a neocon to me. I mean, I, I just don't forget what these people did. Yeah, we're not so, living in a fishbowl. We don't have historical amnesia. We understand who David Frum is, and we understand what he did um, and how he greased the skids to kill a million people. So, yeah, it is funny when everyone's like, oh, my God, how did Frum lose? It's like, dude, they're saying the same things, except Frum is actually more insidious about his beliefs. So if you are a bigot... And if you agree with this xenophobic rhetoric, doesn't it just make sense that you would automatically like Steve Bannon more? Because he's just digging right to the bare bones of what it is that you believe. He doesn't mask it in this rhetoric that David Frum does. Yeah, I mean, he's not trying to rebrand himself in the Trump era to be some kind of phony, compassionate humanitarian who cares about human rights and immigrants. And which goes to the the crux of why people like David Frum hate Trump because he rips the mask off of, you know, the unruly, like crazy bigots that they really are. But Robbie, the funniest thing about this monk debate um, is that people still can't accept reality so much that they actually blamed Russian trolls for screwing up the results. Oh God. Of the debate. I didn't even see that, but that, yeah, dude, people involved in the monk debate were like, huh? They're like coincidence. Like, why is it? Like, how did this happen? It's like, I don't know. Maybe because the audience liked Steve Bannon more. Canada isn't like the most liberal place in the world. I mean, you have to remember Gavin McGinnis and Jordan Peterson are Canadian. Is David from Canadian? He might be. Yeah. I mean, like, so uh, nobody should be surprised about this. I mean, it's, yeah, like Steve Bannon is tapping more directly into that reptile brain mentality. And David Frum is trying to put a mask over it and act like it's intellectual and compassionate. Right. So that's the, I mean, it's, it's what, which one is going to really win that debate? It's really obvious. Well, it's just like the same reason that people won't accept why we have Trump. They just want to point to Putin. I mean, it's almost the same thing, just on an extremely micro level. People are like, no, this actually can't be true. It has to be Russian bots that influence the results. Like, wow, I guess you really have learned nothing. Yeah. And I thought that the results of the monk debate were counted only among the audience members. And again, I, I don't, technically know the full ins and outs of the monk debate so i could be wrong on that i don't think it's like the academy awards where a bunch of people are mailing in there because mm-hmm. it's real time so you need to vote you know in real time and i don't even think they take like an online vote so it doesn't even make sense to say how like did the russians plant a bunch of people in the audience <laughs> get them all canadian visas and sneak them into the monk debate i don't i don't even understand the premise they sent them from the saint petersburg troll farm and put wigs on them <laughs> Um, so let's move on to a, I'm trying not to laugh anywhere because this is a really sober update. Another mass shooting a couple days ago, Thousand Oaks, California, very close to LA, 12 people murdered in a bar. Um, the shocking thing about this, and there's many shocking things about this that we can go into, but I think the most shocking thing was that a lot of these people were also victims of the massacre in Las Vegas, which only happened one year ago. Think about how crazy that is, how much has happened in one year, how fast the news 
happens now um, and how many tragedies have really happened in the last year. But the fact is that that's how frequent mass shootings are. And yes, I know that statistically, like when I said this, everyone just came at me and they're like, you're statistically more likely to die from a bee sting, just like we say about terrorism sometimes. But I'm sorry, if there was a suicide bombing happening every couple days across the country, I'm pretty fucking sure that those people would not be like, um, this is like still completely mathematically impossible for you to like die from a suicide bombing. It's like, that's not the point. The point is that there's a very disturbing trend and it's on the rise and, uh, and there are common factors with the same perpetrators. And also, like, we need to really analyze the root of why this is happening here and nowhere else in the world. So we can get into this, but I just find it interesting that people are, like, dismissing this every single time. Typical lib gun grabber. And it's like, wait a minute. No, what are you talking about? Why are you immediately going there? I don't know. What was your reaction to that? I didn't see those reactions to people responding that way, but, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's just become so such a polarized debate. I mean, for you know, it's just such a knee-jerk reaction for any conservative to say that guns aren't a problem in this larger equation is is just complete denialism. I mean, I don't care if you're the biggest second amendment advocate in the world. If you don't if you're in denial that guns play a pretty substantial role here, then you're just a fucking liar. I mean, honestly, so it's just political knee jerkery, you know, like I, I, I can respect Second Amendment people like I, I mean, I, I know some of them myself, but it's just this bizarre mentality where it's just like anybody who wants any more gun control at all is their libs are coming to take our guns. You know, I mean, it's just such bullshit. Well, and also reality has broken everyone's brain so much that half the responses are that it's just purely fake. Every single mass shooting is fake. They're all crisis actors. You know, what are the chances that the same people would be in Las Vegas than here? And it's like, but what are you saying? Because you're saying that the government and, and also what agency of the government. So it was Obama staging the mass shootings. Now it's Trump. Yet you support Trump. But they're also saying that these people are so stupid that they're actually using the same crisis actors for all these mass shootings. That's what's so fascinating about it. I mean, you know, they're taking a real premise. The premise of a crisis actor is a real thing. You can... You know, you can participate in these drills or these, you know, fake health scares. They even do them in hospitals where you can become a crisis actor. Um, and they're and they're making it seem like whoever, you know, whatever conspiratorial group is staging all these these school shootings is literally using the same crisis actor <laughs> in each event. Like they're that sloppy. I mean, what is the? How do those people rationalize that? Do they say? You know, I can't even imagine what their mind state is like. Like, and what's interesting is, um, I remember I've had arguments with these people, like during Sandy Hook and stuff, where they'd post two photos of someone, you know, next to each other, saying this is the same person, and they're almost always clearly not the same person. Like, only in a few instances, like, oh yeah, they look kind of similar, but they're still not the same person. Like, they don't even look similar. So it's just so bizarre the way that the people push this stuff. It really does show the the nature of this, just like re people so disconnected from reality that they latch onto that concept and make it their bread and butter, like this crisis actor thing. Yeah, it's and it insane. seems like the grift has been getting so bad, though. Like it's not, they're not even trying because I guess people believe anything and are so gullible now that it doesn't even have to look like the same person. It doesn't even have to make sense as long as you're just planting a million seeds of doubt to jumble these people's brains and rot them from the inside out. Um, 
I thought, you know, I just did an interview with Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz. She's the woman who wrote the indigenous people's history of the U.S. And she just wrote a book called Loaded. It's the violent foundation of the Second Amendment. And her interview is very mind-blowing for different reasons. And, and you should look on Empire Files because it's probably up by the time that you listen to this. But just really long story short, I mean, she talks about the gun obsession in this country and why... Why are mass shootings so unique here? Well, there's multiple layers of that. It's the gun obsession. It's this worship of this object that's designed to do one thing, to kill people. Um, why is that so ingrained in the empire? Well, you know, the foundation of this country is a violent, genocidal s- settler colonial state, right? Against the native population, all the settlers were mandated to carry their rifles as a show of force. Then it manifested into Indian militias. And then we're talking about the slave patrols that um, evolved out of this militia foundation of settler colonialists who were all armed to the teeth, who all just massacred Indians. Um, and, and then this right was enshrined. Um, this right was enshrined to be able to kill and have this power to kill and to take other people's lives. And then when you reflect that on the militaristic foundation of our society and the constant perpetuation of war and imperialism, I think all of these things compounded make us a very unique toxic mix. And then, of course, the toxic masculinity, the patriarchy, the culture of just um, male dominance and stuff. So there's there's so many things. But I asked her specifically, you know, there are many other settler colonial states like Australia and things like that. But I think the the mix of these things here are why we see this. And so even just to talk about guns or to talk about mental health, or even PTSD in this guy's um, case, I think that we need to go way deeper to the root of why um, our society is so violent in general. And that really goes to the root of empire and the foundation of what our country is really based on. It didn't just start with Trump. Um, This is going back to something deeply rooted and we need to analyze it in a material sense to figure out a solution that makes sense. But of course, we can't do that. Going back to the whole, um, we have no like complex thoughts or critical thinking skills, so we just go back to whatever's fucking easiest. So I guess saying that it's all fake is the easiest uh, trope that you can glom onto at this point. Yeah, and I mean, and most of the right wing, even the people who don't, you know, subscribe to the fault mass shootings or false flag series, they just choose to mostly ignore it. I mean, that's how they deal with it, you know. Talk about that premise for a second. Whoever would be behind all these false flags, what are they trying to accomplish? Gun law? Like more gun laws? Well, it's not working. If that's the goal, it's not doing anything. Not even making a dent. So that's what's so interesting about that. the perpetuation of that theory is that it just doesn't have... It's like the Hegelian dialect you know, that Alex Jones used to talk right. about. Problem, reaction, solution. Problem, reaction, there is no solution. Every time right. there's a mass shooting. So why, wh- what's the motive? They don't even encapsulate it in a larger body of like functional, consistent logic. It just doesn't hold up. It's like the worst false flag of all time. And not even just false flag, ongoing false flags. Um, because there is no point. There's no cohesive argument or plot or outcome. Like you said, yeah, the, the problem, reaction, solution. Well, where the fuck is that? I mean, it's like these people just lost the plot. Do you realize that Congress has actually passed more gun legislation, pro-NRA gun legislation, actually to protect guns than they well, what have What do you think all these standard anti- ground laws are? Do you think yeah. that those aren't sponsored by the NRA? All yeah, that shit dude. just popped up in like the last five or six years. Yeah. Where do you think that shit came from? 
Right. That's not stand your ground with a hammer or a knife. That's stand your ground with a fucking gun. That's the. I mean, that's what's. It's not maybe not spelled out like that in the legislation, but that's what it is, dude. Yeah, and another interesting thing that Roxanne was saying is like we're we're a country with you know we have 360 million people or whatever we have 300 million guns. Um, the scary thing about that um, is that you know it's more per capita than anywhere else in the world other than Yemen. Yet even Yemen doesn't have shit like this going on. So what? So you look at every gun owner, and every gun owner has like at least eight, not at least, but that's the average, um, and that's really fucking weird. You know, why do you need eight guns and they're just like obsessed with them, treat them like they build like a relationship with them. And what is the ultimate outcome of having a gun and becoming obsessed with it? You want to fucking do something with it, right? It's getting to the point where um, this is just like, it's so fucking normalized now. It's like every day I turn on the news and it's like, all right, what, wh- where is it going to be this time, guys? What yeah. city and state and where? It's not just the guns. I mean, this is obviously, you know, being manifest in our society for many reasons, which we just talked about. But then there's, it's coinciding with an increase, an obvious increase in far right extremists and attacks. Well, of course, but let, let me just oh, quickly yeah. mention oh, yeah. who the shooter was. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we always hear this term about blowback. You know, it's a yeah. popular concept on the left. Like our, our foreign policy creates like, real terrorism. Why isn't this called blowback? He's an ex-combat veteran who served in Afghanistan, very lonely guy, according to most of his friends and family. They believed he suffered from genuine PTSD. He didn't seek help, but who could blame him? Mental health is extremely expensive. Most healthcare doesn't cover it. The VA offers minimal counseling or psychiatric help. He served from 2010 to 2011. And according to him, this is what's interesting, he posted on social media um, as he was in the middle of the shooting, and he actually said he was not insane. He was just bored. Wait, what? Yeah. Wait, and he, wait, And he also that? posted another post. Wait, repeat that? In so, the middle of the shooting? In the middle of the shooting, apparently he did two Instagram posts. And it's the details aren't released because, of course, these fucking Silicon Valley companies erase everything once that something happens, which is fucking bullshit. They released, you know, they, the media reported on it that he was he did two Instagram posts, one of them saying that he wasn't insane, he was bored. And then another one saying that, yeah, I know my mental health is going to be debated for a long time, like after this acknowledging that yeah this is what like the media does is just debate on if people are crazy or not when they do this so he he made a point to say he's not insane he still committed suicide after the shooting was over so yeah it's just really disturbing on multiple levels i mean and i'm sure this has happened before but like military members who serve coming back here and just shooting a bunch of innocent people well, even crazier is that I don't think that war did anything to him. I don't even think this has anything to do with PTSD because Mike brought up the good point. He was like, look, if this is about PTSD, then that means that all the people who got, you know, who are victims of every mass course, shooting that yeah. has PTSD it's are now at risk of, of becoming mass shooters. And he, and this guy, when he was just in high school, um, apparently his track coach found a phone and she was trying to determine who owned the cell phone. And, and, and this guy, I don't even want to say his fucking name, he ran over to her and he was screaming, um, screaming expletives at her, demanding she return his phone. He probably had like crazy snuff porn or something on it. And the track coach refused and she said she has to verify who 
own the phone. She was like, let me, let me, you know, tell me the number for mom listed under the phone. And she said that he was shaking with rage and he grabbed her, reached around with one arm, groped her stomach, grabbed her ass. This is his coach. And she eventually pushed him off of her and then like verified the phone belonged to him. She ended up booting him from the team and then letting him back on because she was worried about losing her job. Here's why, here's why she left him back on. Other coaches pressured her to allow the kid back on the team, saying if she didn't, it could negatively affect his application to the Marines. Oh, wow. Disturbing. And she said once he returned back on the team, she said he was extremely angry all the time. She said he was the only student I've ever been actually scared of. Well, great job, everyone. Again. And just on a side note, and this is not surprising, Paul Joseph Watson, Pamela Geller, <laughs> um, and Laura Loomer all tweeted... Um, right as the event was happening, like right afterwards, Real that the time. shooter looked like Muslim or an Arab. They said witnesses said he was a Middle Eastern man. Can you, you imagine know. being that much of a grifter that you like that it all depends on if you care about something, what like skin color the person has or nationality? Yeah, and they never would report on a mass shooter if it was not right. a Middle Eastern person. So that it just they're just such grifters, man. It's crazy. How disgusting are they? Seriously. I mean, they're just they're just scum of the earth. It's they they don't care about anything other than demonizing Muslims, immigrants, propping up Trump. You know, they, it's that's this is their whole gambit now. And also, it's like I love how Pamela Geller and Paul Joseph Watson are considered like too extreme and you know the fringe. But then Ben Shapiro is somehow normalized enough to like be at politicon and stuff i mean he's like doing debates with jank uger like why is he and he's on fox he has like mm -hmm. his own show now oh my god I mean, I he's watched, just as extreme as these people i watched a debate between shank and tucker carlson at the politicon i was just like let why? me guess why let me guess who won yeah i mean it's obvious i mean it just it's just like why what's going on here what is happening here? So let's get into the, the far right attacks that are coinciding with the wave of mass shootings happening every couple of days here. First, and it seems like ancient history, even though it was literally like, like less than two weeks ago, I think. Yeah. The attempted bombing, the pipe bombs that were sent that did not explode, that were sent to prominent Democrats and uh, along with George Soros and um, a news organization. What was it? CNN? It was sent to John Brennan at CNN. Okay. Because he's like a commentator there now. Yeah. And when, when I saw <laughs> that, I was like, maybe this is a QAnon guy. Right. You know, because John Brennan is not a household name with a lot of these Trump, you know, sycophants. Um, but he is with the QAnon boomer conspiracy people. And first tell us why. Why is he part of the QAnon thing? Oh, because John Brennan is the nexus point for like the FISA, you know, the illegal surveillance of Donald Trump for like the Russia. Oh, collusion. hilarious. Yeah. And he's the deep state. You know, he he's he is the ex-CIA director under Obama. So like he like to everybody in the QAnon, like he is like the face of the deep state, even though he's not in power anymore, technically. And he just tweets He's still the deep state, not Trump, CIA, Mike Pompeo, n nobody <laughs> there, um, not Rudy Giuliani, a guy who was like a deep state player since the 80s. No, none of those people are. It's just Brennan, you know, and of course, by proxy, Obama and Hillary and all the rest of them. But I wanted to just go off on a little rant really quick Please. about how I've seen a lot of people that I normally agree with on a lot of issues conflating um, this the rush to judgment on the MAGA bomber to the anthrax attacks. 
And additionally, not just the rush to judgment, like saying we shouldn't rush to judgment on this, but other people saying that this seems like a false flag attack like the anthrax attacks, and here's why. Um, I just want to say, for the record, I have personally studied the anthrax attacks for about eight years now, and I don't agree with almost any of the takes I've seen comparing this MAGA bomber event to those attacks. Um, the only similarity that I can see at all is that things are being sent through the mail to prominent people. However, the anthrax attacker sent them to two relatively obscure you know, people in government and then one you know, known journalist, Tom Brokaw, in the media. So it's d- different. The bombs actually had black powder in them. If they managed to detonate somehow, they would have at least caused injury. These were not fake explosive devices. You mean they weren't toy bombs, Robbie? Yeah. So let's just address huh. that, that. I thought they um, bought them in t- Toys R Us and put them in a little package. Yeah. So the question becomes, are shitty built bombs by an amateur, quote, toy bombs? No. I mean, of course not. Only a Trump cover running piece of shit would say something that ludicrous, to be honest. I mean, it, you have to at least acknowledge. So if you if you believe in Trump and you like worship his government, his own FBI said they had explosive material in them. So is that FBI the deep state? Are they lying? So like this, it just shows you the logic, the connective logic points in all these narratives just don't hold together. You know, were they meant to explode or not? That's an argument worthy of having. Because then you could be like, these are bombs, but were they designed to be meant to explode to the people they were being reached to or not? That debate wasn't the main debate. It was toy bombs versus real bombs. You know, people talking about, well, these people they were addressed to send real bombs and these were toy bombs. Um, it's just such a bullshit premise. It's just and ignoring it reality. deflects to Trump's continuous bombing of the Middle East. Again, it goes back to Obama where it's like, oh, who gives a shit that someone attempted to bomb Obama? He's He bombed real people. It's like, yeah. what? I mean, yeah. And Trump, you know, just... just put that out there again for people who are still listening to our podcast who don't know this or don't understand this trump has actually increased bombing significantly since the the obama era in the same countries that obama was bombing that is a fact he is he is killing civilians at a higher rate he has increased drone attacks from the obama era and he has increased the total amount of munitions on the on these different quote battlefields so yeah, it is very strange still that people two years into the Trump presidency are choosing to talk mainly about Obama's bombing when we have a president who has inherited those policies and made them worse. Just like we criticized Obama for inheriting the Bush policies and making right. them worse. We did that for eight years. We didn't wait two or three years into the Obama presidency while apologizing for him before we started talking about his horrible foreign policy. So it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I find it, frankly, very suspicious. It feels like people from the right are engineering talking points designed to siphon energy from the anti-imperialist left to allow the right to virtue signal this phony bullshit anti-war stance that, in the end, ultimately just helps prop up and deflect away from Trump's foreign policy. So that's how I see it, frankly. Should we sympathize with the people targeted? You know, I don't really have that much sympathy for those people. But, you know, the MAGA bomber's van also had a picture of Jill Stein in crosshairs. So would these progress, quote-unquote progressive people talking about toy bombs versus real bombs, would they be talking about it that way if Jill Stein was sent one? 
I really don't think they would be. I mean, maybe they would be. I don't know. Like, what do you think about that? I mean, there's so much to say about this. Um, the fact. Let's start with the fact that people think that this guy was like a a plant or whatever, and that this was all staged. Including to Rush frame. fucking Limbaugh said that. Right. So let's go back to that. The yeah. fact that this is not just a fringe talking point put out by the likes of Alex Jones. This is mainstreamed by Fox News down the line. We have Laura Ingram, we have Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh all saying fake toy bombs. Um, and that this was a Democrat alluding to the fact that this was really a Democrat framing this guy. So that it's just so astounding on so many levels. First of all, I've been harassed and followed by someone for eight years who is extremely mentally ill. And so when people just automatically think that anything that happens like this is staged and fake because, oh, it's just too perfect. Oh, 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 this guy was just able to drive this truck around. It's like, yeah, we have a country full of mentally ill people. We have no health care. We're empire babies. I mean, look at the mass shootings. There's a very awful phenomenon happening. Of course, there's millions of mentally ill people. Of course, there's millions of people who are about to fucking snap. And yeah, it isn't that hard to believe that some guy after the Republicans are essentially generating a narrative that Democrats are pedophile, satanic, worshiping demons who sacrifice um, children who sacrifice and eat babies in the basements of pizza shops. Yeah, I can see some guy maybe um, mailing pipe bombs to someone because you're living in a completely alternate reality online where you think every everything's staged and everyone's a crisis actor and um and these people are demons again so why is it so hard to believe that someone would just act on their own to do something like this so that was always just really alarming to me when i saw ron paul saying toy bombs why can't we acknowledge the growing threat from trump-esque right-wing people but also criticize u.s foreign policy in an intelligent way. I don't understand why you have to conflate all these things. I don't understand why you have to diminish either one when you're talking about the whole. Um, both are real. Both are scary. I, I saw. I was absolutely disheartened and horrified at the takes on this. And absolutely to your point, this is not just about Democrats. This is about conflating all of the left. Liberals are the left. It yeah, doesn't. There's no, there's no distinction. There's no distinction from the left and liberals and whatever. Anyone yeah, I mean, who's in TIFA. Just interjecting really quick. I yeah. listened to Sean Hannity's bizarre performance on the night of the midterm elections where he had Judge Jeanine Pirro, Rush Limbaugh, and himself taking the podium at Trump's fucking rally. I don't know if you knew that, that all three no. of them took the fucking podium during his rally. Hannity was broadcasting live from the audience, acting like he was just reporting from it. Every candidate, Every like non-incumbent Democrat running against like a Republican, he described them every single time as a radical leftist without skipping a beat. Wow. Sean Hannity's been doing that for the better part of eight years. Any Democrat is a radical leftist. Chuck Schumer is a radical leftist to these fucking dumbasses. And they don't, it's like, it doesn't even matter. They put out that rhetoric enough where anything remotely socialist is communist or anything, you know, any Democrat is a radical leftist. That's the level that their rhetoric is at now. So yeah, is it not a surprise at all that Jill Stein will be seen the same as, um, as fucking, I don't even know who else was on his van, you know? Um, yeah, no. And, and also what if one of the bombs did detonate? What would have been the narrative then? Too bad a mail worker sorting through George Soros's mail got exploded, but who cares? It doesn't compare to the bombs that he sponsors in these color revolutions. Like, I mean, what at what point do you stop the grift and maybe take a breath? 
because, yeah, it is amazing that none of these bombs exploded because, yeah, it wouldn't have been George Soros or Hillary Clinton. It would have been the people, the poor saps who exactly. were sorting through the mail. Yeah, the, and the, also, oh, great false flag again. It's yeah. already off the news. It barely was talked about. They talked about it for a day. Great job again. What a waste of a false flag. No, and even conspiracy people that I find like their material, you know, relatively good and they take have unique takes. I mean, you know, they, they had really bad takes on this too. It's just like, I do agree that we shouldn't rush to judgment. But you shouldn't, you know, that also includes rushing to judgment saying everything's a false flag. You know, there's people from the conspiracy scene who are like, isn't this good that everybody's like the mainstreaming of false flag? Like, why do you think this is good? And I'm like, no, it's not good because it's like the mainstreaming of the term the deep state. If it's being redefined by Trump-worshipping morons as something to distort the meaning of it, then no, it's not good. It's actually very harmful because these are real historical concepts that need to be discussed accurately. Otherwise, then it just becomes boy who cried wolf. Everything's a false flag. Everything's the deep state that doesn't like Trump. I mean, it's astonishing to me that people in the conspiracy movement don't see how harmful that is. The deep state is absolutely a real concept that needs to be analyzed in a constructive and intelligent way. And unfortunately, it's been so underground um, that it skipped the part of actually having mainstream acceptance in a, in a way that was intellectualized. It, it just skipped from underground subcultures to straight up mainstream exploitation of the right wing, like the far right. Yeah. And so they've hijacked the, the term, the deep state, they've hijacked and exploited conspiracy culture, made it partisan. It's very surreal how that happened, Robbie. You know, his people and him did something to engineer it, but I don't know, you know, I, it's giving him too much credit almost, but it works so much in his favor. Like it's brilliant if he, if him and his people were behind that, but I don't know. And just back to the bomber really quick. Yeah. I mean, my honest assessment of it is it does seem like this was meant more to scare than to actually harm people. Like the bombs maybe weren't even meant to explode. Mm -hmm. But that being said, he didn't, he didn't send fake bombs. He sent poorly made bombs that still had explosive material in them. If the pipes that he was trying to make these bombs with were filled with unexplosive dust, right. like sawdust, then yeah. I could sort of see why a toy bomb declaration would fly and be acceptable, but that is not the case here. That is simply not true. So it's just, it's just, it is really shocking to me to see so many people running with that take. And it was really disappointing. Right. And again, it was just off the news in two days. It's like, what yeah, was all exactly. this for? So what guys? did that false flag accomplish? Winning the house, Nancy Pelosi takes the house. <laughs> That's the false flag uh, goal. This is the October surprise. Oh, too close to the midterms. Oh, it's too perfect. Is Van at all? It's like, yeah, dude, this sometimes uh, things happen. In fact, they're happening every day. Yeah. And then, but That's then the they're all false in. flags. You know? They're all false flags. Everything's fucking fake. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what that was. All I know is the guy is now in prison forever. So what was he, a Manchurian candidate who was just designed to like scare everyone into voting Democrat? I mean, no one gave a shit. Do you think that that actually helped any Trump voter vote for Democrats? Good None God. of that shit's going to change any of their mind. No. I mean, it's just like, you know, if you have 10 school shootings in a row at elementary schools, it wouldn't change the gun, like Second Amendment people's minds either. Um, and, you know, just going back to something that happened during the election, when Don Jr. and Eric Trump received that inert white powder that they suspected to be anthrax, did these same toy bomb grifters also say toy anthrax and mock them? No, of course not. 
And why is that? Because suspiciously, somehow all this stuff just ends up making Trump, propping Trump up and making people in opposition to him look evil, but not him. Like we're kind of going in reverse order here, but like what happened right before this MAGA bomber was a shooting at a Kroger grocery store of two black people by an alleged white nationalist. Right. Um, yeah. And I don't know much about his background. Like it almost doesn't really matter. I mean, in the right. sense that he only targeted, these are just random people that right. he encountered at a grocery store. And all you really need to see to understand that this was a racist motivated murder is the news, the local news actually interviewed a witness who saw the shooter. Um, and this is really, really chilling, not just chilling because he said this to the news, but because the news didn't even comment on it like it was crazy. If you actually watch the news clip of it, it's really surreal. When they cut back to the reporter, she just acts like what he said is totally normal. And here's what he said. The witness said the Kroger shooter, as he was leaving the scene, confronted him in the parking lot and actually said to him, whites don't shoot other whites and left him alone. And the oddest part about this little interview clip they cut into the news segment is the witness seemed pleased when describing the situation to the reporter, like he was proud. This is the witness, not the shooter. Um, and when it cuts back to the reporter, she's just like, mm, really chilling scene at the grocery It's just like, what? You're not going to comment on the fucking fact that the guy you interviewed said whites don't shoot other whites, and that's the reason why he was left alone? Like, that's just nuts. And it was especially jarring because the reporter was like Asian American that they cut back to. And I was just thinking, that's who edited the segment together. Right. Odd. Very odd. Going back to the whole crisis actor thing and false flags. Like, I, I love how people are just like, oh, he seems a little too calm. Like the witnesses, they're like, um, they don't, they don't seem like they're upset enough. It's like, oh, oh the, the witnesses of the, the Kroger shooting. The tragedy expert has logged on. No, 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 no. I'm just saying about the other, the, the mass shooting that just happened. Where, oh, like, the kids oh, were the just other in one. shock. Like after escaping the bar, people are like, mm, nope. Yeah. Like nope. everyone's a, uh, an expert on like human psychology and like the way people <laughs> act under trauma now. Or like, yeah. remember when the Boston bombing happened? And like, oh yeah. Like the guy up. getting his leg blown off. Yeah. And, and they're like, they're oh, like, um, where's the blood? Where's the blood? And they're like, and it's like, oh, the emergency room, like trauma um, blood expert has logged on. Hmm, yeah. Please tell us. Yeah. I mean, it, it, same with Las Vegas shooting. I mean, I remember, well, you know, just checking out those videos and people were like, where's the blood? Where are the bodies? Where are the victims? And it's just like, well, then in that case, Trump visited the victims in the hospital. So you're saying Trump is part of this stage false right. flag? No, they're not saying that. They somehow conveniently ignore all of Trump's involvement. You know, some of these conspiracy people have a catch-all where it's the Vatican or, yeah. you know, it's the Illuminati. But it's like, when it comes to this, like, I don't even really know. I honestly don't know. I've watched videos to right. just see what the fuck they're talking about. And they don't really ever go to that part. So, I honestly don't know. Right after this Kroger shooting, another psychotic insult, the involuntary celibate. Um, so, he waltzed into a yoga studio and shot it up absolutely stunning and i don't even know where this was i think it was in florida and these things are happening at such frequency that i didn't even like really investigate who this guy was or what his uh you know what he was saying online or whatever but i just know that he idolized that guy who killed a bunch of women in santa barbara it's almost like a dad joke at this point to be like oh man like i can't go to yoga because all the hot girls in their yoga pants you know it's like so distracting he, he must have taken that joke or just that premise a little far too seriously that somehow 
women in a yoga class like upset him so much that he needed to go murder them, which is just <laughs> horrific. They obsess constantly about girls in yoga pants because they're taunting them. Yeah. You know, we're we're taunting you if we wear yoga pants. Um, you know, that they have different breakdowns of the women who, you know, pretend like they're hot and like they, they're forcing men to look at them. And so they owe them something. I mean, there's so many different breakdowns of the incel uh, women obsession. Mm -hmm. And the yoga pants is actually a, a core part of that. I've seen pop up on the Internet a lot. You know, and it's a joke. I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts and, and it comes up a lot. It's just like a thing you always hear. And it's just like, yikes. The incel community strikes again. Um, and we're going to see more of these attacks. I, I have a really bad feeling that we're going to see more of these attacks because men feel like they're victimized. And remember Trump even said, he said, it's a really bad time to be a man. He said, it's a great time to be a woman. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's like that inverted weird view that some men have about the me too movement where they get all defensive and, and uncomfortable about it. And it's like, I kind of feel like that says something more about you than it does about the me too movement, because why is it making you so uncomfortable? Did right. you do something that you are questioning in your past and you're worried it's going to come back to haunt you? Do you still do something? Do you still have sex with women when they're blackout drunk and think that that's okay? Like, I don't, I don't know what these people are doing, but it is, very telling to me when people get very uncomfortable and defensive just about the premise of Me Too. I mean, it's almost like they were parodying it on Always Sunny in Philadelphia with Dennis, you know, acting like this is like mm -hmm. a witch hunt and all, and all this shit. Like, but there's men who really see it that way. You know, you really have to question why. That know? was a hilarious episode at the end when Dennis was like, takes over the seminar and he's just like, I have women sign consent forms before and after every... <laughs> like date and he like locks them in the room and has them sign consent forms and he shows them all like text messages of them and being like i had a great time last night i consented to everything we did yeah and he's like something he says something like you can't prove that these women didn't send the, the text but their phones like did or something <laughs> like implying that he sent them <laughs> yeah very very disturbing well yeah i mean we geez we've already spent almost an hour talking about all these are mass you serious shootings Good and right-wing terrorist attacks but there's more to come yeah well this is this is among the worst one because it it's a coalescence of everything we're talking about it's a mass shooting against jews which was actually the worst anti-semitic attack in this nation's history so that alone Jesus is insane Christ. And um, and then you look at who this guy was. I mean, there's, there's several interesting things. Um, he had an account on Gab, which we didn't yeah. really haven't really talked about that, but supposedly a quote-unquote free speech social media network for people. The logo is Pepe the Frog, basically, even though it's not an exact ripoff of it. It's very much trying to be like, a, you know, attract right-wing trolls to their network. So for, you know, again, it's just like Steve Bannon saying, you know, talking about free speech rallies and stuff. The shooter had some gab postings, which actually said some things about QAnon being a hoax and how people are idiots or falling for it. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. So he's not a typical Trump supporter. What was what I found out, and this is the media also reported, it's not something I uniquely found out, is that the shooter was even more extreme and racist than Trump and most of his base. He thought he actually thought Trump was bought off by the Jews, he said in one of his posts. However, it goes to show that Trump is still tapping into a larger zeitgeist where even the genuine anti-Semite extremists 
can still buy overall into this larger disinfo narrative put out by the propaganda right about this immigrant caravan. That's just one example. They do it on other totally. issues too. But where most of Trump's base was scared of Mexicans and you know supposed criminals and I- even ISIS being on the caravan, which is hilarious, <laughs> um, this guy was actually scared it was being done by the Jews. Like it was somehow orchestrated by this HIAS Immigrant Aid Society. Um, even though... He thought Trump was being also controlled by the Jews in his own postings. So it just goes to show that even these people who are outlier, even more right-wing than Trump and think he's being controlled, they still buy into the generic bullshit that Trump's whole movement puts out. Right, they're still activated by the caravan. Yeah, they're still activated by the reptile brain, like manipulative fake talking points that the right-wing puts out to scaremonger people. I, I just find that interesting. You would think that since he saw those things about Trump, even though this guy is clearly a psychotic person, he's a murderer, um, that he would, you know, not subscribe to this. But it just really goes to show how par- powerful this rhetoric is overall, even if you're more to the right than Trump is. So, I I thought the most ab- absurd part about this entire thing, you know, it's horrific. It's absolutely tragic that that these people were killed and that the the anti-Semitism is on the rise in these horrific attacks. The thing that was really missed here, because the corporate media immediately conflated this with Israel. It was absolutely disgusting to see. These, this Jewish community, the HIAS, the one that he hated the most, the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society that assists refugees, helps immigrants, helps people, you know, seek asylum, that's that's what religion should be based on, right? Helping your neighbor, helping your brother and sister humans around the world who are suffering and in need. Um, so that's really beautiful that they were about that. Unfortunately, the shooter was obsessed with the caravan, directly targeted these people. So going to the corporate media's coverage of this, um, the problem was that Israeli officials, government officials, started to not only defend Trump and say, Trump's rhetoric has nothing to do with this. It's super offensive for you to say this. This is about the, the centuries-old hatred of Jewish people. Um, no, you're kind of missing the point there. First of all, Israel hates migrants. Israel hates refugees. They have fucking bounties on African refugees. They round them up and put them in a prison camp in the Holot Desert. I went and visited them myself. They don't want them in their country. So it's a little bit strange how they exploited this attack, were happy to rush in, hijack it immediately and say, Jews aren't safe anywhere in the world. Come to Israel. Come to Israel. Look at You'll be safe here. You'll be safe here. 24-7 commentary, making it about anti-Semitism only without understanding that this was also about the hatred of refugees and migrants, which they also hate. Yeah, exactly. They hate them. Israelis love Trump. They are perfectly okay with the foundation of white supremacy. They're perfectly okay with the anti-Semitic rhetoric. And they're perfectly okay with actually funding neo-Nazis in Ukraine. And they're perfectly okay with funding um, al-Qaeda affiliates in Syria. So I, the rhetoric kind of falls apart when you realize what, you know, Israel is really a foundation of kind of white supremacists undercurrents. And they absolutely want to expel... Yeah every um, African and every brown person in the country. So it's just quite disgusting to see them exploit this. And it's quite disgusting to just see the media let them and make it all about Israel. Like, how fucking gross is that? What about Netanyahu's son, who is posting anti-Semitic memes of George Soros and like octopus holding the globe, which is like a traditional 
neo-Nazi meme. It's just odd. You know, that didn't get more play. It's like, why is Netanyahu's son like a neo-Nazi anti-Semite? Really odd. Yeah, Dan went and did Man in the Streets uh, of just average Israelis, just like I did. But this was specifically about Trump. And, and that really tells you all you need to know. I mean, I've never seen people more enthusiastic about Trump. It would be going like to a Trump rally and you get the same responses as you would just in the heart of Tel Aviv. We're, just we're talking to average Israelis. Yeah, I'll, I'll post it. Um, but yeah, Dan's just asking people like, who do you support? And everyone's like, Trump 100%. I mean, it is so hardcore racist that when you're trying to invoke um, sympathy for Israel, when in the wake of a tragedy, an anti-Semitic terrorist attack here, it's just insulting. Oh, God, and, I, and I'll get into my tiny little Israel update in the next episode, I guess. But I mean, one story that I just saw that just was absolutely heartbreaking was a school, a primary school for Palestinian children, flooded with sewage intentionally from Israeli settlers. You know, I was in um, Hebron, which was the largest settlement that was built inside of a city center. So it's now a ghost town because the settlers took over, forced all the Palestinians out and created like a military fortress around, um, you know, around this area. But Mm -hmm. unlike the settlements out in the villages, they've like destroyed the city in the process. But there's cages over the Palestinians. The settlers live above them. They throw shit, piss, bottles, trash. I met someone who lost their eye because acid was thrown on them from above. Um, just just things like this, like horror stories that you can't even imagine. The architecture of oppression. I mean, they build their settlements above Palestinian villages, so then actually the sewage can run off and destroy the olive trees. So like they take the top penthouse floor yes. of like a, a big you know building that, that has a lot of Palestinians living below. Exactly. And that's what you see in Hebron, where, the, where it's a city more compacted, where they literally have taken over the top and then they mm-hmm. throw everything down on the bottom. But yeah, in the villages, they'll build the settlements around them. They call it the architecture of oppression because they not only run all of their waste down and destroy the waterways and, and the ability to farm, but then they'll also just live above them in this kind of dominating fashion where they in control of everything. You know, mm-hmm. they're looking down and peering down at, at, at the people that they own, they consider that they own. So anyway... This primary school in Palestine, for the second time in a couple months, has been purposefully flooded with settlers' sewage. Fuck. And these people are, like, wading up to their knees in shit water. Oh, God, how At sad. school. At school. Jesus. So, so thank you for your words, Netanyahu, about the anti-Semitic terrorist attacks here. Here's a way to fucking stop them. Stop sympathizing with neo-Nazis and anti-Semites. Oh, God. And, and I just love how Israeli officials were like, um, stop. This has nothing to do with Trump's rhetoric. It's like, really? Because yeah, the guy said it was it? about the caravan. How funny is it, too, that it's like the media, you know, has the balls to be like MBS and, and Duarte, Duarte. Trump is emboldening the strong men. But it's like they will never say that about Netanyahu. Right. I mean, I don't even know if Netanyahu's people were caught murdering and dismembering right. a journalist, if it would even they would even say it then. Like... I feel like Israel would have to do a lot more um, to get any kind of heat towards them like that. But it's, I mean, it's just all the signs are there. It's like there isn't a world leader out there who loves Trump more than Netanyahu. Doesn't that say everything? <laughs> like, Yeah. And it says everything that Trump, in response to the migrant caravan, took a little cue from Israel and said, open fire on the migrants. Treat the rocks like a rifle. Yeah. And how funny is it, too, that... 
a lot of like Trump's own supporters who were bothered by that. Like they were actually saw some people who were bothered by that rhetoric. And then they rationalize it later by being like, oh, no, 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 no. Trump didn't really mean it. He just wanted to like put the fear into the migrants and like shoot like a strongman show of force and then not really do it. So there's like this whole group of like Trump supporters now who are acting like they're peaceful and they rationalizing Trump's behavior as that he does, he uses a big stick, you know, but then like pulls back and doesn't really do anything like actually bad. So Russia trolled us into censoring our own internet and Trump has trolled us into into implementing fascism. That's, wow, what a great con, everyone. Mm -hmm. Trump's just a big joker, guys. He doesn't mean anything he's doing. All this is just for show. Yeah, I mean, and they use the example, this is interesting, Abby, is they often will use the example of his, the chronology of how he dealt with North Korea to prove this is what Trump is all about. The big stick approach, but there's actually no bite. And that's, there is a class of Trump supporters. I notice a lot of them are more libertarian leaning who believe this. And they believe that Trump brought in John Bolton to be like a, you know, not an attack dog, but like to bark really loud so that the North Koreans would surrender or whatever. You know what doesn't hold water? The debilitating sanctions that have taken the lives of people and blinded human beings. Are people this goddamn ethnocentric that they actually don't understand the consequences, the real life consequences of the rhetoric alone? And, and also just to look at the North Korea situation and think that President Moon had nothing to do with it. That it's because Trump went out there and said fire and fury like the world has never seen. That's why Kim Jong-un capitulated. It's like erasing the actual, you know, years and the campaign of, of President course. Moon to come to power on the peace negotiations. When this all started, I mean, to me, I do believe Kim Jong-un has some fascination with certain American celebrities. And I think that that's really the only thing that Trump was able to accomplish being who he was. Good point. Like Dennis Rodman and Bill Clinton kind of makes sense, but it's like, that's all Trump accomplished. She has a celebrity appeal. South Korea and North Korea will be continuing these peace talks and that's what should be celebrated. We don't know what the outcome of this is really going to be yet. It's just rhetoric. And it seems like it's already falling apart between the U.S. and North Korea anyway. So I don't see how that's a big accomplishment. And even Trump is like poo-pooing it now when he talks. He's like, we'll see what happens. Like, well, like he's not like he used to talk about it much more confidently. And now he's even sort of backpedaling from it. So anyways, that was kind of a total tangent. Going back to the the Shane Bowers of the world um, after the horrific Pittsburgh attack, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad tweeted, um, terrorism is always condemned in any shape or form. United States terror attack. He's like terrorizing defenseless peoples done by cowardly and selfish individuals. And then Shane Bauer, the uh, neocon anarchist, wrote, dude, you don't even believe the Holocaust happened. And it's like, wait, what? Also, it just kind of reminds me of this whole Louis Farrakhan hysteria. I, every day I see a new news article about how the left has a problem with anti-Semitism, how whether it's Jeremy Corbyn or the Linda Sarsour with the Women's March, they need to denounce anti-Semitism, Robbie. We need to denounce Louis Farrakhan. Where the fuck did this guy come from? For some reason, whenever you need to discredit the left, you throw out this like black nationalist guy who has nothing to do with the left. It's quite bizarre. Well, here's what I think it started with Keith Ellison. I guess he used to be in the Nation of Islam or something. And, you know, he's the first Muslim sitting member of the House, I believe. So it was like 
I, I remember first seeing it with like Jake Tapper, like ma- trying to make right. make um him denounce Louis Farrakhan like live on air. It's it is fascinating. It's like it is this weird sticking point where it doesn't really have any relevance, but yet it keeps coming up with these quasi, you know, classical liberals who keep bringing it up. This is really regressive that you're not denouncing Louis Farrakhan. It's just such a weird, it's just manufactured crap. No one even pays attention to him. Yeah, and Barry Weiss even wrote like, good on you, Alyssa Milano. She was like, you need to denounce the Women's March until they they denounce him. It's like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Is Louis Farrakhan going to be part of the Women's March? Oh, yeah, and then I saw a bunch of stuff about like, we should ban him. Like, why isn't he banned from Twitter yet? But all these other people are banned. And he called, he said like Jews were termites or something in a, in a recent video. It's like, well, you know, if you want to use that argument, like all hate speech should be banned. I mean, then you also have to ask why is Ann Coulter still have a Twitter account? Right. Why is, exactly. uh, you know, why is all these right wing people, why does Trump still have a Twitter account? So at least like incorporate that too. Of course they don't. But I mean, on top of that, he's also like a very public, he's a very prominent and famous person. So it's like his whole totality of like what he represents. It's like, yeah, banning some fucking proud boy for saying something about Jews on Twitter. Yeah. You have to take the whole total career of that person. Who is this person? He's just a random troll on Twitter. Yeah. Ban him. Who is this guy? Oh, he's Louis Farrakhan, the leader of the nation of Islam and a huge figure. So it's like, it's just such hypocritical crap. It's like, of course you're not going to ban Louis Farrakhan's Twitter account for saying that because He's a very big figure. I mean, doesn't David Duke even have a Twitter account still? Yes. So it's like, yeah, then what? I mean, it's just like manufactured fucking bullshit, dude. Yeah. And also the Ann Coulter thing. Good point. Why is she not more dangerous than Alex Jones when she said, can we do this? Talking about Israel massacring innocent people at the, oh, yeah. at the fence. I have, I can we, um, can we do this? Oh, yeah. Not only not only not banning her on Twitter, inviting her to Politicon to debate quote unquote serious people yeah and i just want to take a just a moment to really throw shame at the dumb motherfuckers out there and i've seen some who are prominent libertarians praising ann coulter for her supposed anti-war stance pardon me wait this is one of the biggest neocon iraq war cheerleaders ever what? what is she saying that what is she even saying that people think that this is good oh because she doesn't think we should intervene in syria just like all these oh, people cool. on the right you know that makes Sweet. them all, all of a sudden anti-war it's it's absurd so that's i mean i don't know yeah it's i refuse to give any breath to that argument because it's just so absurd on its face like you said i mean the drone strikes alone these people just gleefully support because they they just think every muslim is like dehumanized at the point of isis anyway so, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's very, very shocking. And of course, dead radio silence on Venezuela and, and the Bolsonaro election. We haven't even talked about that. I mean, there is really a resurgence of fascism taking root across the world. Yeah. And, and again, these really bad takes, you can't compare him to Trump at all because he came from that military wing of like when the bloody, you know, Pinochet and all these like the wave of like the bloody military coups and dictatorships back in South America decades ago. And it's like, but you can though, because we can understand how this fascism in this area of the world had a resurgence. We could also link it to Trump, the rhetoric, um, the emboldening. 
it's upsetting to see certain people all of a sudden realizing there is a worldwide resurgence of fascism because of his election. Right. Where have you been for the last two years? Don't you remember Nigel Farage? Like these are these are people who almost won. So let's talk about this because we see people covering Trump in a very, very bad way. I have been waiting for someone to critique Trump in a way that um, is satisfying to me, you know, critiquing the empire aspect, critiquing the the expansion of the military. And instead, we just see a lot of apologetics um, for or deflections him, or complete outright deflections like the Russia thing. So it's either all about Russia and protecting Mueller. So, again, going back to totally um, avoiding the analysis of any sort of deep state in terms of the CIA and FBI and what these institutions have done to progressive movements across the world. And instead, just completely having faith in those institutions and saying those are who can save us from Trump. Completely batshit crazy logic. So it's either that or it's complete denial, right, of how Trump actually does pose a unique fascist threat. So I just don't understand this because I feel like you can still acknowledge how neoliberalism has helped us dovetail into the far right being able to exploit that economic uncertainty while still understanding the extreme threat neo-fascists and his ilk pose to society and the environment. Um, you know, the immigrant bashing, the xenophobia, he's providing this huge injection of energy to the forces that espouse the far right anti-Semitic worldview. Um, the caravan, like we've been, like we've been saying, I mean, every rally, he's constantly talking about the caravan, telling the soldiers to open fire at people, um, sending the 15,000 troops to the border who are just all putting up barbed wire and shit. I mean, this caravan is like hundreds of miles away. It's in like Mexico right now. Um, I saw people from Liberation News there with the caravan. They're all talking to the migrants on it right now. And the reason that it's a caravan is because there's safety in numbers because coyotes are fucking crazy. And they'll either, you know, a lot of them will steal their money, leave you to die in the desert. And so, yeah, um, safety in numbers for families, for children, you know, to join on a, a group that's going to seek asylum away from these fractured countries who have been destabilized from U.S. foreign policy. So, yeah. I mean, can I just interject ahead. something? Yeah, of course. I mean, the the only point I I wanted to just clarify that you made is when you're talking about the forces espousing far right anti-Semitic worldview. I mean, I think that the general climate of racist rhetoric that he's putting out, you know, towards immigrants. Um, towards African Americans is is much worse than like whatever anti-Semitic you know rhetoric he's putting out. I mean, and I'm not and I and I don't but the mean globalism to, thing alone is like a code. Well, I think it it is. I I mean, I think it, it it's historical origins are a code. But I'm I've gone back and forth in my mind about if Bannon is just stealing you know that rhetoric for their own ends, or if they're actually like purposely putting out anti-semitic rhetoric i mean i do think there is something to the you know the soros fixation for sure even though that's, i think soros is a about. pretty bad figure there definitely is something to that i I'm don't not you think that it is just weird though how it's manifested into just this one powerful jew oh, and also the globalism thing i mean we know that bannon has said blatantly anti-semitic shit on yes, the documentary right. that we did about him he said he said there's too many jews in the school i don't want to put my kids there yeah, so yeah. No, no, that's these a people fair are point. not yeah. dumb. You know what I mean? Like these people are not dumb. I, even if Trump himself isn't an anti, he, like he said, he's the least racist, yeah. least anti-Semitic person you'll ever meet because his daughter's a fucking Orthodox Jew and married to Jared Kushner. That means nothing. I mean, either he's doing it purposefully or he's taking cues from people who are doing it purposefully. Yeah, because these I are codes right, yeah. that 
activate again the reptilian brain and whether it's masked in jokes or memes it's still all the same shit well it's yeah i think i think you're right and i think i the second thing you said i think i agree with is that he is using it's like he's using all these different things and it's almost like it's hard to tell whether he actually cares about the really bad consequences from them or not, or for just using them. So like when it comes to all the anti-Semitic code, like it's really powerful rhetoric, but I'm almost wondering, you know, does he, he just doesn't even care about those consequences. And, and, you know, you can even argue that like the obsession with like the Rothschilds in sort of like libertarian anti-federal reserve movement is sort of suspicious. So there's argument definitely to be made there, but... Two things really quick um, that I don't think you could say Trump wasn't intentionally doing this, and that's when he refused to denounce David Duke and Nazis. Not the Charlottesville thing. This is when he was running for president. I just watched that clip, yeah. And he was just like, I'm going to have to look at them. I don't know. I mean, who, who who is David Duke? It's like, dude, I mean, come the fuck on. And I'm sorry, but the entire cultural Marxism meme and trope is anti-Semitic. This goes back to the how saying the Bolsheviks were all controlled by Jews. It's like literally just rebranded anti-Semitism from a hundred years ago. You know, the theory of cultural Marxism, I'm reading from The Guardian right now. It says it's blatantly anti-Semitic, drawing on the idea of Jews as a fifth column, bringing down Western civilization from within. So it's a racist trope that has a longer history than Marxism. So like the protocols of the elders of Zion, the theory was fabricated to order for a special purpose, the institution and perpetuation of a cultural war. Um, An author that kind of pioneered this lunacy is named William S. Lind. He's a polymath of the American hard right who sought to put right-wing activism on a new footing as the Cold War drew to a close. So when the Berlin Wall fell, it was time for this guy's strategy of cultural conservatism to become a central plank for U.S. Republicans. It identified a new kind of social enemy for the right to mobilize against pointing to the the beginning of this American cultural decline, demanded that conservatives embrace a politics centered more, not less, on cultural issues. So the family, education, crime, morality. So the fairy tale of cultural Marxism provided this post-communist adversary located specifically in the cultural realm. So even though it's not overtly anti-Semitic, it's still like generated from the old... That, that old rooted thing about about the Bolsheviks and, and these Marxists totally. back in 100 years ago. But even the most important thing about both of these things from the Russian Revolution to today is that both of these theories distract from what the most important factor is of the decline of, you know, if you want to look at the decline of society, like Bannon blames the left, I blame capitalism. So it removes your focus from what the economic structure of oppression is. Um, and in fact, just, you know, again, punching down on marginalized and oppressed people who have no power at all mm-hmm. over why people are disenfranchised. And ex- and now it's almost used inversely where they believe that the people in control are, you know, these elitist globalists. And I was just going to say that the unfortunate thing, I'm just worried that by conflating all of that rhetoric, even though I agree with it, with everything you're saying, yeah. that they can start jump to saying things like, well... If you're talking about international corporations, that's anti-Semitic code also. Like, there's definitely people who are going to try to inch the dialogue in that direction, too. Some, like the SPLC, for example, like like what they try to do with like the, everyone who's associated with art, Russia and media is a secret Duganist type thing. Right. So that concerns me, too. It's like there's definitely... But I totally get everything you're saying. Back to the very beginning of this 
conversation about Trump being a unique fascist threat. I think even the debate happening on the anti-imperialist left is seems very polarized and not just polarized, but like just very broken on Trump to a degree where you do see a lot of leftists either succumbing to Russiagate, not just neoliberals, Democrats, but even like leftists I've seen succumbing to it over time or other distractionary issues that leftists are still talking about, which I think was important to talk about at a certain time. And it's still an important fact. It's a historical fact The talking about the Hillary Clinton Pied Piper strategy that, you know, it is her fault and the DNC's fault that Trump won in the first place because they tried to elevate him over the other primary candidates because they thought that he would lose. So I guess my question is, how much longer is it necessary to keep the focus away from Trump and his administration and instead on Hillary's Pied Piper strategy or how the Democrats are responsible for getting us here? Because while I agree that talking about him being a symptom of a larger problem is important, I feel that we're really not focusing on what's important now which is the substance of Trump's actual bad policies and the danger of Trump's far-right loyal base and how it does seem to be increasingly getting more and more fascist. Isn't the whole point of understanding how we got here to be upset about where we are now? Like, to also be equally outraged? Like, look at what the fucking Democrats did. They got us here. And look at what we have. Look at how awful this is. It's like there's a missing half. Exactly. There's a missing half. And why is that? I mean, we could maybe speculate forever about why there's such a lack of space seemingly to platforms to have these types of discussions. Well, that's capitalism. I mean, there's no money to be made. There's no ad revenue to be made off conversations like we're having now. So Mm -hmm. you have to go the Tim Pool route where you can go from, you know, potentially a serious journalist live streaming, kind of pioneering this new form of media telling to going to be a completely fucking generic grifter. Well, it's it's extremely sad because I wonder if there's even people who are part of our audience still who would be like, but aren't you guys in Tim Pool like trying to sort of do the same thing where you're both trying to show how both sides are bad and, and trying to take a more nuanced approach? And it's like, no, like, no, we're very, Yeah, please explain different. the difference. Please explain that because he, he does pose himself as like, a, I'm looking at both sides. Well, yeah, what he does is he takes the generic left and the generic right, the sort of bubblegum pop concepts of each thing and places himself in the middle and acts like he's sort of a centrist or but i mean underneath of all that yeah he does have a bizarre mostly a following of like sort of right-leaning you know quasi-trump supporting fans so i don't so i don't really know i mean obviously that's how he's making most of his money yeah so i mean i guess the difference between that and us is we don't you know take the two most polarized you know, generic partisan platforms and treat those as reality. You know, right. we don't believe that the Democrats' uh, policies are radical left positions or that they're actually, <laughs> you know, socialists. Or, I mean, I, I feel like even Tim Pool said shit before about like the Nazis, you know, they're national socialists, so be careful. No, like, he has. I mean, so it's just like, I mean, come on. <laughs> Let's move on from him, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so let me um let me talk a little bit more about this this idea of Trump posing this unique threat. And please going back to his rhetoric. I mean, look at this birthright citizenship attack. Now he's saying he just can casually, you know, commit an executive order and abolish an amendment. 
This grants birthright citizenship. You know, this has been a, a cornerstone of our country, just like 30 other countries in the world, including Mexico and Canada. Um, so this is scary, right? That he can just unravel the actual constitution. Isn't that funny that all these constitutionalists and originalists, um, the Federalist Society, they're all obsessed with this strict interpretation of what our founding fathers want, but all these other shit just up for grabs, especially when it comes to like providing safe haven for immigrants. Nope. Abolish it. Nope. Doesn't even need a debate. (laughs) Like just change the constitution however you want. Change the bill of rights however you want. Like absolutely insane. Then you have this. He does crazy shit every day and not to really focus on his tweets too much, but it really embodies this fascistic rhetoric that we're talking about and the Mussolini style characteristics that define his presidency. But that sanctions Game of Thrones tweet. Man. Fucking American fascism coming soon to a theater near you. That's what I thought when I looked at it. It looked like a movie poster. It was Trump looking like a strong man with the Game of Thrones font saying sanctions are coming. It's it's very interesting because it's very 4chan-esque. It looks like a high quality like meme made by a fan like fans of his who watch Game of Thrones. I don't fucking watch that show. I honestly think it's a piece of shit show. I apologize to our listeners out there who like it. Apparently, this is what someone told me, is that it was actually representing the villain characters, like the White Walkers or something in Game of Thrones. It wasn't even representing like the the good guys. So that's another layer of it. That's And, and we can go into this later, but I mean, Trump actually threw out, uh, this is how crazy the sanctions are. It's not just that he's repealing the Iran deal and reverting the sanctions back to the Obama or the Bush era. They actually had to throw out a 1955 agreement with the UN and Iran uh, to be able to impose harsher sanctions that would remove uh, like vital humanitarian aid that the UN said needs to be upheld or it's illegal. And Mike Pompeo was just like, oh, that's, that's unfortunate that the UN thinks they have authority over us because we're just, we're throwing the shit out, dude. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we'll go into more detail about that, what the actual sanctions are but keep oh talking God. about uh i mean <laughs> i mean and there's some other things i mean it just keeps going on and on and on it's this whole jim acosta scenario where jim acosta and i and look i hate that i'm in the position of even defending like establishment media but when you have a president embodying like fascism like literally he he is a would-be dictator and it's just a matter of time if we like you said we're zero to one nine away from having the institutions in place to just implement this. Absolutely. That's what's so scary about this. It's like, and this is about- That's an official yeah. like, sanction. Like We already know that that could be done officially. Yes. So the Jim Acosta thing, you know, the, him him basically saying you're disgusting, you're a horrible person, and everyone's like laughing about it. Like, oh, this is actually really bizarre that we're cheering this on. I don't care who it is. Like, this is insane. Um, and look at he, look what he did to the Khashoggi thing. I mean, he seemed like he was irritated that the cover up was botched. He said it was like a bad job, and then they tweeted that doctored video from Paul Joseph Watson, which was hilarious, also because it's like it's just so bizarre. Again, mainstreaming Infowars, using Infowars videos to show that you're justified from banning people from the White House press corps. But here's the thing: um, all sides are downplaying this msm has refused to call 
this fascism or like the rise of fascism. They, they've refused to provide any sort of analysis about how these institutions are in place to give him an absurd amount of executive power where he can strip down the bodies of government and, and, and consolidate power so quickly That's where the he main can thing. just throw out Bill of Rights. Yeah, and, and let me just finish my thought really quick because they while they're blaming Russia and Putin, Trump people love it. Um, Trump people love this. That's what's so scary to me, Robbie. They embrace this. They want martial law. They want mass arrests of leftists. They want Trump to be a dictator. Um, just because Trump hasn't done anything like Hitler or said anything like Hitler, that doesn't mean anything. The conditions have never been more ripe for fascism. Trump could be our Hitler. He is a very unique threat that's emerged out of the unique fucked up symptoms of our society. Let's yeah, look at what our society has manifested. Pray, you know, um, Wall Street culture. I mean, he's geez. a unique outgrowth of our rebranded neo-fascism because capitalism turns fascist once it has nothing more to offer to the masses. Um, Trump clearly has all the characteristics, the conditions are there, and it really all depends on what happens during this term. Look at what happened to Bush. All, all it took was 9-11 and all the liberals lined up behind him lockstep saying, we need to support our president. He had a 90% approval rating from that point forward and he was able to do whatever the hell he wanted. So just because Trump hasn't invaded Iraq, the conditions weren't there for him to do that. Everything's set up in place and the consolidation of power is set up in place. And, and if there is another 9-11 or something like that, um, I, I absolutely guarantee you we're going to see a full embrace of authoritarianism because we know the politics of fear is the ultimate uh, controller. And that's why for the last 15 years, we've been warning against things like the Patriot Act, the NDAA, all of these things that have been in place, the AUMF, because we knew someone like Trump would get in and could get in and have these vast spying powers and have these vast war powers and totally unchecked executive power to quickly dismantle every last semblance of government institutions. And this was already accelerated and put in the works from the neoliberal models that were championed by Clinton to Obama to Hillary. And that's given us Trump, of course, but, but how could you avoid or ignore where we're at today? Very well said. And, and there's so many signs, Abby. I mean, let's just talk about some more of the signs of fascism. I mean, Trump blaming the media for inciting the violence. Oh, that that's definitely one. But I was just going to say, just jumping back to earlier, this the Sean Hannity, um, you know, coverage on Fox News. I mean, he was there covering the rally live on Fox News at like a little table on the opposite side of the auditorium. And then all of a sudden he's at the podium with Judge Janine and fucking rallying for him. I mean, that's very chilling. That is extremely chilling to me. I just don't, I, and I've been someone who's been able to stomach for anthropological reasons and for just to be able to like do this podcast and be more informed. I've been able to stomach listening to am fucking right wing talk radio for years and years. I listen to Michael Savage and Sean Hannity sometimes, and I was chilled when I saw that display. And then I even saw Glenn Greenwald being like, and I can understand his position too. He was like, well, th this is actually better than just pretending that they're not like part of his, that they, they're not just openly sycophantic to his presidency. Like they should, Fox News should allow them to just like be part of his rally. Well, yeah, sure. But it's like, isn't that also scary? Yeah. It's like, don't you realize what that means too? We like cross the threshold where now there's yeah. no like pretense. I mean, that is a scary thing. Yeah. I mean, listen to Judge Janine. I mean, I don't know if people out there know who she is or know anything about her content, but it is like, it's really scary stuff. 
I mean, the, the Fox News has Laura Ingram, Ben Shapiro, Mark Levine. They have their own shows now. These were people who were just used to be fringe. The signs are there and they're going to get worse. Yeah. And, and fascism is predicated on bashing immigrants, rampant xenophobia, bigotry and racism. That's how these things happen. And then coinciding with that, the protection of corporations and the stripping of government institutions. Um, Prospect.org wrote a great little article about, you know, with Rupert Murdoch's media empire, which owns Fox and the Koch brothers donor network of these private capitalists that have bought into Trump's entire media empire. You have this other element of fascism that's growing, the, the promise of protection for the capitalist elites. Let's not forget about this. Trump's first wife, Ivana, said that he did read Hitler's speeches, that he oh did God, have yeah. Hitler's speeches next to his bed. And we kind of poo-pooed that and we're like, oh, that's that's hyperbolic. No, it's not hyperbolic. He does study this. It's almost like, oh, Trump's too stupid. He doesn't read. Well, guess what? His wife said that he had a, a book of Hitler's speeches next to his bed. Should we just not believe her? He's. I mean, if I'm being honest, he is genuinely, he's not stupid. He is, I mean, he won the presidency. He pulled something off in such a crazy way that I've never seen before. I'm continued to be shocked and amazed on a disturbing level on a daily basis by what he's able to do. So he is not a stupid even, person. And this doesn't even necessarily mean that, okay, he, he um, idolizes Hitler's actions. It just means that he understands propaganda. And if there's something that we can really take away from Trump's presidency is that he understands how to manipulate the media. He is a con artist. And his lawyer, his attorney, told um, whoever wrote this prospect article, they said, Donald is a believer in the big lie theory. If you say something again and again, people will believe you. Oh, that um, sounds familiar. Yeah, doesn't it? I mean, and and just like here's just one example of just one of his more, more recent lies. He he completely made it seem like this caravan was like a terrorist attack heading towards our country. Even sprinkled an ISIS in there, and then he completely fucking dropped the caravan fear mongering after the midterm, like immediately really? after the midterm. Um, and so did Fox News. Actually, according to a like a little analysis someone did. The next day after the midterm, the rhetoric of the Fox News use of the term, the word caravan went down by 50%. And then the next day, Whoa. it was down at 25%. Wow. Yeah. So wow. I guess just if you're still a Trump supporter, do not see how you have been fearmongered and used and treated like a pawn during this. Do you realize that the caravan was purely political theater and a political tool? And, you know, a lot of people from Trump's side are arguing that this Jim Acosta confrontation is political theater, too. I've even seen some progressives saying that. And on some level, it is political theater, but it still is, you have to acknowledge it is really crazy the way Trump is just treating the press in general. Like, if you can't just genuinely acknowledge that because you, you know, and rightfully see a lot of these press people as part of the problem, too. Like Jim Acosta, his record is not good. It's still really disturbing to see the way that he acts and not just the way that he acts, but what he, the precedence he's setting. Yeah, exactly. It's like I could, on one hand, have enough intellectual capacity to, to criticize Jim Acosta for being a part of, you know, perpetuating false narratives that get us into war or like perpetuating the ruling class viewpoint. But at the same time, acknowledging how fucked up it is that Trump did that. I can acknowledge both. I think it's really disturbing to do that to members of the press. 
I'm not in the vein of, of celebrating and cheering on shutting down the fake news and thinking it's hilarious to tweet out videos of CNN getting body slammed. Um, I think that's really disturbing. Well, it's, and it's made even more disturbing by the fact that who isn't fake news? It's Fox right. and Friends, Michael Savage, right. Sean Hannity, Judge Jeanine, Laura Ingram, Tucker Carlson, and fucking Rush Limbaugh. That's it. You know, he even says Shepard Smith is, is against him. I mean, like he's talked bad about certain people on Fox News. He doesn't love all the Fox News even. But it's just ridiculous that everyone is fake news except for Fox News. Fucking neocon propaganda network that like pumped the most war propaganda during the Bush administration than any other channel. I mean, are, are, this is and, just such a bizarre even, reality we're living in. And it's so weird, too, because I bet you a lot of these like conservative reporters who work at Fox and Breitbart and, and uh, the Koch brother, you know, affiliates and stuff, too. I bet you they're like terrified to criticize Trump because they're terrified that he's going to like put them on their sh- oh on my shit God. list. Well, yeah, I mean, you know? look at, I mean, this just as a microcosm of that, but I still keep returning to it in my mind because I'm, I'm chilled by this story even, you know, say what you want about Megyn Kelly. Like I never particularly liked her when she was on TV, but it was really interesting to watch during the primaries when she got adversarial towards Trump, just sort of that whole, you know, couple weeks long interchange where Trump mentioned her being on her period and stuff like that. She's bleeding from wherever. I mean, you remember that, right? Like, oh yeah. I mean, that got really dirty, and it was only because she asked like a few adversarial questions of him. That's all it took. And then also that story she told in her book. She just like everyone else didn't know. She just assumed Hillary was going to win. She put in her book a bizarre story where she made it seem like Roger Ailes and Trump like conspired to give her coffee that made her sick so sick that she threw up all day before the debate started that she almost had to cancel it and that's in her book even though she walked that story back that's that really happened like it's just so strange the way we were just forgetting all these things and oh it's like well megan kelly is a you know non-trustworthy because it's like let's just not listen to anything in that about that story but she didn't walk back the actual events of that story it just really creeps me out to even think about stuff like that Absolutely. I mean, and it creeps me out that she got paid $60 million. Oh my God. <laughs> it's crazy to think that that's how much money there is still in what I thought was like mostly a failing industry of corporate TV news networks. But I know. How is that how possible? Much, yeah. I mean, think about it. When they keep saying that Trump got $5 billion of free advertising, that's how much, if you're on TV, even for an hour a day, every day, you count in just all the subsidization from the corporate donors. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's what it adds up to. <laughs> it's really shocking. Uh, but even funnier, I saw that CNN, as much as we think that it's um, failing and all this stuff, I, I guess it reached its highest audience in its entire history this year. And I was like, oh my God, that's crazy. Um, I wonder how many people are tuning into CNN. Cause you see, it's like just kind of the standard thing that's up in bars or airports or whatever. And I was stunned to see that even at its peak, that the most people who are watching CNN at any given time is only like 250,000 people or in a day, I'm sorry, in a day, that's how much viewers it gets. And so that's, that's actually not that many. You can pretty comparably do that like on YouTube, which goes along with the whole crackdown on dissident media and alternative voices is you have reached the point where you can compete with these corporate news anchors and stuff. And and that's exactly why they want to shut down the competition. But it was also surprising how little kind of viewership 
these stations have, um, even though they've reached the peak. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. I always wonder how much actual revenue they those companies bring in. Yeah. One other thing about why my familiarity with Alex Jones. One aspect of Trump's presidency that's I feel like is not getting enough media attention. These militia groups that are loyal to Trump all around the country. Um, recently, about a hundred members of these different militia groups signed an oath to go stop the caravan and announced they were heading to the border to, to stop it. And even though there's always been Minutemen-type militias, like there, there's been those types of militias for a while that are all about illegal immigration, now it seems like typical militias that were previously always anti-federal government are now all becoming loyalists to the sitting president of the United States. And when you combine this with Trump's Seemingly, Q a non dog whistling. If I mean, even if he's not nodding to it, it's still a very dangerous precedent being set because the well regulated militias concept to you know stop tyranny could actually be used to protect tyranny, and we're already seeing it evolving in real time into that direction. I'm not saying that these people who were in militias before would have protected us from legitimate tyranny. What I'm saying is that now they're actually being used. They're being Pied Piper by just some random person on the internet um, who says he's close to Trump to to believe that they need military takeover of the United States and that they need to help with that. I mean, even after the midterms, there was someone, um, I think you showed it to me, Abby, actually. Some guy who looks at 4chan was posting screenshots of posts that were like, fuck it. Like, the Democrats took the House, now we need to, like, arm up and take the streets and shit. There were, like, a bunch mm-hmm. of people saying things like mm-hmm. that who are Q followers. We, I mean, is it really even worth analyzing how it even got to this point or how it happened? Is it because InfoWars was shifting their allegiance to the, to the federal government instead of against it? I mean, did it have that big of an effect? I really don't know, but it's, to me, it's also another sign of fascism. Oh or, no, absolutely. I think or that night of the saw, long knives. Like uh, you know, we think these proud yeah. boys beatings are bad. Um, but what happens if it's like a mass nationwide riot type thing? I mean, like night of the long knives in Germany. So Well, that's another interesting analysis that Roxanne was giving is how, you know, how did the clan form and it was uh emerged after Reconstruction and the civil rights era had another resurgence of the clan and how really, you know, the slave patrols turned into the police and and the white supremacists' roots of this country were always there, and the evangelical wing saw their chance to get power with Trump, and so did the white supremacists, frankly. I mean, I, that's, I think that's why the fascism thing is so um, apparent now, because there really never was someone who was an ally of like that movement in power. You know, you could always say, yeah, they all, you know, everyone kind of arose from the past president. And this has always been building. But still, Trump does pose that sort of um, symbiosis. And, and I think that they never really had that ally. I think you're right. Yeah. There's so many people in jerk reacting to all this stuff happening. I mean, I understand that CNN and all these mainstream media outlets are terrible. That doesn't mean that Trump isn't a fa- dangerous fascist. And that he actually might try to shut down the free press. I mean, so it's just like you can believe both things. I guess that's a frustrating part to me is I just see very little of that opinion coming through. 
Because like you said, it's just the people who are talking about how Trump is dangerous, who are all very you know far left. Some of those people have gotten sucked into Russiagate and spent an awful lot of time talking about his Russian connections instead of just these obvious signs that he's doing himself and that his government's doing that are increasing fascism. And, you know, I'm, we and haven't even mentioned his foreign mm-hmm. policy hardly. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, but no. we can... That, that'll be for the, you know, the next episode. We'll talk about that separately. But I mean, that, that's very scary what he's doing with Iran. Uh, what, was, what did John Bolton say about the Troika axis of, of tyranny? He said the Troika of tyranny for talking about Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Cuba. Yeah. So, I mean, and Weekly Standard actually just ran a big editorial today praising him. It was the, by the staff of the Weekly Standard praising Great. John Bolton and the Trump administration for coming up with a phrase that they believe is equally as elegant as the axis of mm. evil. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Good. So now we Good. even I'm have, mm-hmm. from what I've seen, keeping the most praise on the Trump administration so far from a Weekly Standard article. So that's a yeah. shift and they're too. And, and they're um, curating what news we see on Facebook. So Great. Oh, yeah. Let's let's make a point to mention that more often because that is fucking crazy. Um, and I just wanted to wrap this up by saying, you know, we were going to touch upon the midterms and how what the whole quote unquote blue wave really represents. And um, so we're going to provide a lot of analysis about where we're at in the wake of the midterms in our next podcast coming out in a day or two. We're going to put them pretty close together. So stay tuned for that. But I wanted to just wrap this up by quoting Counterpunch because I, I did a bunch of research on just different people's takes that I agreed with. Um, even this guy, I didn't agree with him. He focused a lot on conflating Russia and the U.S. as if both are equal threats to the world. But he did have a really good point at the beginning. Henry Garreau, he was saying, um, neoliberalism's hatred of democracy, the common good, and the social contract has unleashed generic elements of a fascist past in which white supremacy, ultra-nationalism, rabid misogyny, and immigrant fervor come together in a toxic mix of militarism, state violence, and a politics of disposability. Modes of fascist expression adapt variously to different political historical contexts. Fascism, with its unquestioning belief in obedience to a powerful strongman, violence as a form of political purification, hatred as an act of patriotism, racial and ethnic cleansing, and the superiority of a select ethnic group or national group has resurfaced here. That's undeniable. Um, This is a world where dystopian versions of a catastrophic misery producing neoliberalism merge with unapologetic death-dealing visions of a fascist politics. We live in an era that testifies to the horrors of a past struggling to reinvent itself in the present, and which we should place more than a sense of ethical and political responsibility on those of us bearing witness to it. And he's basically just explaining that, you know, neoliberalism has essentially given us this new fascism, and you really can't compare it to other waves of fascism in the past, because it is very unique, just like the mass shooting thing. We have to analyze how, what it is about our society and what this threat is today. And unfortunately, um, the Democrats don't want to discard identity politics. As you hear every day, 100 women won, right? We, we did it, guys. We got the blue wave. Well, guess what? A lot of them are CIA agents. They're never going to abandon this um, fake rhetoric and empty platitudes um, favoring identity politics for a real economic message that could mobilize the disenfranchised. Um, you know, and, and Trump ultimately tapped into that. 
That's really, he tapped into this kind of specific combination of racism and the economic grievances that were clearly prevalent and getting worse by the neoliberal system. And I want to wrap it up again with Counterpunch, where indeed, now that many people are looking for alternatives to the current corrupt political establishment, a resurgent coalition of neo-fascists and other assorted critics of Western imperialism are striving to take full advantage of the ongoing global economic crisis, just like Trump and his ilk. They do this by identifying themselves as the genuine critics of the global ruling class and by misidentifying socialists and revolutionaries as the real enemy of the working class. In such opportunistic and reactionary narratives of social change, genuine revolutionary leaders and popular uprisings are portrayed as unwitting tools of the ruling class elites. So now as ever, we should be conscious of what the enemies are doing in plain sight, as the stakes had never been higher. Of course, there are many real reasons why people become disillusioned with the tiring fight for a fairer society, and it doesn't help when the working class are repeatedly let down or betrayed by the promises of their so-called political leaders. But all the while, we need to be aware that all sorts of fascists and right-wing populists are presentedly ready. They are ready and waiting to take advantage of this discontent if we fail to organize our class effectively on a global scale. And um, this is just a really good summary of where we're at um, because as we're as we're talking about I mean we're flailing in all these different directions and we need to really understand how this sort of section of society has has exploited real issues um, and the economic grievances to take power and to consolidate power and then to demonize and undercut the people who are actually um, the solution you know, the working class, organizing the working class, the left, uh, revolutionary thought. I mean, all of those have been demonized by this administration. The left is is the problem for everything. So I've never been more enraged and I've never been more disappointed. And I guess uh, even a lot of my allies of failing to really accurately assess where we're at and, and constructively give some sort of solutions. We definitely have to be really serious about the rising danger of these far right you know energies and movements and um you know and and actually not be afraid of calling it like it is i mean fascism i don't care if people on the resistance have also called trump hitler you know or like have also called him a fascist like it doesn't prevent me from believing he's a fascist based on the reality that i see around me so i just i just want to stress you know, you you don't have, that doesn't mean your resistance. Like, I just feel there's this real knee jerk mentality, just like saying like, you know, I'm not going to talk about Trump because everyone's talking about Trump. It's like, well, good for you. So you haven't figured out how to uniquely talk about him. You know, you're too afraid of being seen as part of a camp. I just feel like people need to resist that, that temptation, not want to be part of like the, I hate Trump camp. He's so hateable. Like why resist <laughs> the natural feelings that your body is telling you to feel <laughs> <laughs> the stripping down of all like government yeah. I mean, and protecting the, the worst capitalist criminals. Yeah. Deregulation doesn't help workers. Yeah. The, the whole premise by the right wing is that like it creates more jobs because then we can open up more coal mines. It's like, well, dude, the people getting hurt are ultimately like the workers and the people in these local communities by the pollution and the deregulation. So like you just even if you buy into that, it's just like really think about what that means. Deregulation does not help people other than corporations. Yeah, and just looking at the climate, 
Trump doesn't have to put people in concentration camps to understand the climate that we're in and what has been built for that to actually happen um, without much changing, to be honest. Yeah. So just the wild amount of power that he already has um, and the power that he's stripped from everyone else and the fact that, you know, the government is designed that way should be just gravely concerning to anyone because we could go to fascism real fucking quick, yeah. like full blown. And even if the government, you know, even if he does things with the government that it isn't designed to do and he just subverts certain right. aspects of it by making a call to militias, you know, to to stand, you know, to do checkpoints for him or something to stop illegal. I mean, you never know what this motherfucker is going to be capable of. Um, and there's all, there are hundreds of thousands, if not possibly millions of his fans calling for military control of this country because they believe the deep state is still in control and that Trump needs to fight back by calling for martial law. They really believe that. So like, this is not something to be taken lightly. Yeah. And what a brilliant misdirection to get everyone away from the capitalist oligarch ruling class, the top 1%, that transnational capitalist class that really is an interchangeable mix that controls the worst corporations in the world responsible for pretty much all of climate change, environmental degradation, um, regime change, the list goes on and on, deflect away from all of that and just talk about Muslims and the left. Yeah. Wow, here we are 100 years later from the Russian Revolution and we're still hearing the same tropes and that blame the, the weakest members of society. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Please let us know what you think um, and stay tuned for our next episode where we're going to go over all the midterm results, the elections, and what they mean for you. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to get that all on record because I things are happening at such a rapid pace that um, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But um like you said, what in the Michael Moore documentary, I mean, we're zero 9-11s away from this actually becoming a reality. And if there is another 9-11, I really fear um, the world that will wake up the next day, too. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Let's just use the energy we have. If you want to get active and actually fight what's happening, there's so many different ways to do it. Even if you want to canvas for a candidate, I mean, there's there's so many so many things you can do. So don't just let your frustrations uh, get the better of you. No, and don't let the election disempower you. I was going to say that, you know, the elections never mean anything. Yes, it's really fun to put your energy into local propositions and candidates. And I encourage everyone to do that. I got super invested in the election and I was sad to see my propositions fail. But it's the beginning of something. It's the momentum that eventually will pass you know, just like legalized weed happened, just like gay marriage happened. These things will eventually happen because progress is an arc and we are pushing and on a local level, these things can absolutely happen. It's just really hard to follow federal electoral politics and, you know, plug in a vote every four years and then that's all you do. I mean, I always say voting's the least you can do. You have to get out there um, get associated with organizations, parties. It, there's nothing more rewarding than linking up with like minds and actually putting boots on the street and um, and uh, going and, and doing these things. And 
opening your world to other people who care and are on the same page as you and have the same moral compass and building up the anti-war movement that is so desperately needed in this country. I mean, that's what I really feel like I want the energy to be on is let's spark this anti-war movement. Let's get going. Let's join parties. Let's start protests and let's get out in the street because it doesn't matter if there's a Republican in office or a Democrat. Under Reagan and Bush, we saw massive immigration reform because of tens of millions of people organizing and pushing those policies from the streets. And, and so we need to keep that in mind that really anything can happen as long as the people and masses are behind it. And so that's why we need to get out of our comfort zones and, and put our bodies on the line to stop the gears of the machine. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks for supporting us. Take care. Donate to Media Roots Radio for as little as a dollar a month. Thanks, guys. Bye.